0: We set ourselves this um, uh, challenge to see how we as a a local church in particular relate to the wider community. And uh, what I'd like you to do please is to turn to Colossians chapter 4, looking at verses 2 to 6, just to see how the, the early church... Uh, the apostolic church in its almost infancy began to grasp some of these um, issues as to how the gospel impacted people's lives. And it's a very interesting thing that in the letter now in Colossians, and it's not unusual in a lot of Paul's letters, that he's not content simply to explain the gospel. He does that constantly. But it seems as if he feels he's failed in his task if he hasn't applied it. And may I say this, one of the dangers for us as sincere and spiritual evangelical believers is that we often stop at the explanation and somehow can be very weak when it comes to the application Um, of God's truth in our lives. What somebody has said, there's uh, there's a gap between the rhetoric and the reality. And whether we're dealing with emotional issues as we are, whether God still continues to heal today, and, and how we work that through, and what is our presence within the community, which is constantly changing Um, It's always a good thing in all these circumstances to come back to God's word. So what we have here is a description, if you like, and I know it is of, if you like, the real Christian. Not simply the cultural one, people who know that uh, certain things that you should do. And and there's a deliberate progression. We move very quickly. You see in in, uh, Colossians uh, 3, verses 1 to 8, it's the Christian and Jesus. I love to say that from time to time in a church meeting, whatever it's like, formal, informal, there's a certain time when it's you and Jesus and nobody else. And he's doing something in your life. Of course, you can put the shutters up. And you know the times that you do that. And you regret that. And that is true. But then it's also the Christian and the local church. It's not a private love affair between you and Jesus and nobody else. The Christian is part of the body of Christ. So verses 9 to 17. How do we genuinely relate? Some people prefer to have a superficial life, to keep people at a distance and to be measured. Others choose to be vulnerable and relate. And that's a choice that you and I make or don't make. And then there's the Christian and his family. We come together, we go home, we relate to our husband and wife and children and parents, elderly, young, and so on and so forth. Well, what are we like, really? And then the Christian and daily work. Is, is, there, a, is there a gap between what happens here and what will happen tomorrow, whether it's at work or uh, wherever and whatever we find ourselves doing? And there are challenges there, this is 22... ...to chapter 4, 1. And then Paul comes, you think, well, that's it then, isn't it? Surely that's pretty comprehensive. He comes to just one other thing, and he says this. And this is where we take up the reading now. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. We've been doing a bit of that tonight. The context will vary from time to time, we know. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us. Pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message... So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders, to people who are not part of the church. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Well, there's the recipe. And I want us to look just very quickly then, so you can see how comprehensive it is to be a Christian. My relationship with Jesus, how I relate within the the church family that he's placed me. We don't build the church, God builds the church. He puts people like you and me together, and we wouldn't choose that. We only choose the people that we like, that we relate to. The church is not like that, and we can't pick and choose and then the Christian and his family. Well, what, a, what a great responsibility it is. And what a blessing this week to, to make known the good news of the Lord Jesus to uh, the vast majority of children who wouldn't hear otherwise. And how we do at work. And now, how do we relate to our community? This is not simply people there and the people there or people immediately next to us where we live. But in the total sense of that, where we live, move, and how we relate and have our being. So very quickly then, let's try to answer that. And I guess that the, the background to this originally is, for those of you who've read the, the blog, um, if you want to look it up, well, I suggest you don't, but if you do, it's um, the Long Crendon Parish blog, as they've, some people have said um, things about the church which haven't been altogether honest or helpful. Nevertheless, we have met with the community and tried to allay fears and answer questions, and rightly so. So the two themes, very quickly, two things that come out of all of this. The first is this, and I suppose it comes as no surprise, and I don't say it to shame you or to make you feel guilty, but it's this. The first is speaking to God about people, and the second is speaking to people about God. The first, speaking to God about people, the importance of prayer. And so he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open the door for our message. And he makes this challenge that we should be a praying people. Now you might have thought, wouldn't you? I think I would have anyway, that if you want to speak to God about people, then you need to do a course like uh, Christianity Explored or Alpha. So that you know. But Paul doesn't do that. There's a place obviously for that. And we're starting a new one. Of course. But the constant characteristic of the New Testament believers at least is this. They devote themselves to prayer. The great Cinderella of the church. And it is a fact and we know it. That it is a prayerless church or a prayerless life in which the devil is most disruptive and most active. Now, you see in verse 2, it's general prayer. And there's a place for that. Being vigilant, being watchful. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. In the the general sense, to be vigilant, not to be sleepy. To be thankful, to be grateful. We need to be told that. Because from time to time, we get, get into a habit of complaining. And look at the challenge here, the outsider. What what, does Paul have in mind here? And pray for us too, that God may open a door for me. And then he says there in um, verse 5, Be wise in the way that you act towards the outsider, making the most of every opportunity. Well, so often we are the silent people. And yet, just to be thankful, to relate to people, to say, you know, I've got difficulties and maybe financial problems or health difficulties or coming through a bereavement or a broken relationship, but you know, God is good. God is good. Be good if we could say that from time to time to people. Or when did you actually last say that in conversation? The outsider will notice how real our faith is, or in fact, we're no different to anybody else. But here's the interesting thing. Prayer can no more exist without praise than true praise without prayer. The one fuels the other. General prayer and thanksgiving. A gratitude attitude, if you like. The one fuels the other. And then if you look on, next next few verses very quickly, specific prayer. There's the general thing. The sheer generality of life. You may not have actually expressed a specific prayer at this time. Just being a thankful, prayerful soul who's going through life. That is the normal Christian life, if you like. But then, you see, there's there's this specific prayer. And we've been thinking about that tonight, in, in particular. Persistence. It's easy to give up. To be resolute. It's easy to stop. We know how easy it is to be distracted. I suspect, you know, and this is a terrible thing to say tonight, and I'm not thinking of anyone here particularly, but I I suspect that there are many true Christians who have given up on prayer. I suspect that. At this point, I'm not even wanting to make you feel guilty about prayer meetings, though I know many of you have given up on that. But I'm not thinking about that. Just the business. Does it actually make any difference, I wonder? So here we are, there is references to the Psalms there, and you can look those up at your leisure. But we are to pray specifically. Here's the interesting thing. Paul is in jail. He's in chains. He says that there. You would have thought, wouldn't you, if it was me, I would say, pray for me that I'll come out of jail. I, I guess you would. That wouldn't be wrong. But he doesn't do that. He prays for an open door, not for the prison, but for the open door of the gospel. Isn't that extraordinary? And he says specifically that there may be open doors, open minds, open mouths, open opportunities for God to work. And the essence of all of this is people reaching people. In other words, am I a cul de sac or am I a channel? Does God use me or is it a no go person? Open mouths in prayer for the gospel. And for those who proclaim it. What a surprise. The two things most neglected today. What a surprise. What a surprise. Preaching and prayer. The great Tozer once said. I remember reading it as a student. 35 years ago. It's hard to get people to church. Where the main attraction is Jesus. Isn't that extraordinary you should say that? Preaching and praying. That is how we relate to our community. And that is how God changes lives. The second thing then, speaking to God about people, and verses 5 to 6, speaking to people about God. Of course, every Christian has responsibility to speak to people about God. And it's not what you say, is it? It's, It's the way that you say it. We closed our service week Sunday with, and I was challenged by this um, ancient, uh, it's not a poem, I'll read it to you anyway, Uh, it's called Credo, and it's this. Not what, but whom, not what, but whom I do believe, not in my darkest hour of need hath comfort that no mortal creed to mortal man may give. Not what, but whom. For Christ is more than all the creeds, and his full life of gentle deeds shall all the creeds outlive. And you would know the background to this is Christians quarreling about creeds, which we are proud to do. And he goes on to say this, not what I do believe, but whom who walks beside me in the gloom, who shares the burden, wearisome, who all the dim way doth illumine and bids me look beyond the tomb, the larger life to live. Not what I do believe. But whom? Not what? But whom? Not what you say. But who you are. Maybe we're too argumentative. Maybe we're not wise. So how does, how does Paul say that we should relate to people, to one another, and to outsiders? Verse 5, be wise. Now that is the opposite of being clever. Uh, I don't know if you, I'll read this sentence to you, and hopefully you'll understand it, because uh, I wasn't quite sure how it read, and it's this. Where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? That's not trying to be clever. We are in information overload. Where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? Not what, but whom? Be wise. Or negatively, don't be unwise. Don't be inconsistent in the way that you live. Be gracious. Do you see the next in verse 6? Let your conversation be always full of grace. Would that mine was, I guess you would say the same. Let your conversation always be full of grace. No Christian worthy of the name, should be graceless in speech and in life. Of course, there are examples of people who are unwise in the way they behave and ungracious in the way that they talk. But what is the point of that? The point is this. May it be never be said about you. Or me. Do you see the point? If we have cause to say it about other people. Hopefully it's true. And we don't enjoy doing it. Be wise. Be gracious. And it's as if Paul makes a, a sort of a flashback to the Sermon on the Mount. You are. The light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Years ago, they used to say if you wanted to really speak well of a person, you would say, He or she, they're the salt of the earth. Whatever would we do without them? That is the way that we relate to outsiders. Or put it in a negative way don't be bland or boring or dull. But seasoned with the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's the task that we have to make Jesus to be palatable and attractive. And it may be in our sorrow as well as our joy. Ken was praying, wasn't he, about uh, Jesus weeping at the grave. And people observed said, how he loved him. How he loved him. Just the sheer humanity of Jesus wasn't eclipsed by his deity. Sheer love that he had. And we are called in perhaps the greatest verse in the Bible. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. It's difficult to criticize someone you love, isn't it? It's very easy when you don't. How we relate to our community so that more people, more people, by God's grace, will taste and see that he is good, that he's good.